Welcome to SolkanaCast, two broads talking broadly about health, the physical, the emotional, the nitty-gritty, and the fun. Real thoughts on real health. The information provided within this podcast is not designed to and does not provide medical advice, professional diagnosis, opinion, treatment, or services to you or any other individual and is intended for general information for educational purposes only. All right. All welcome, right. welcome, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Soulconicast, episode 22, Breasts and Breasts. And Breasts. And Breasts and Breasts and Breasts. Uh, I am Hannah Whitevin, and with me as always is... Lucia Holly. We're super excited about this week's episode because we're doing the same topic, uh, which is breasts, and uh, we both feel like this could be like a seven-episode series. We'll see how it goes today. Yeah. We'll start with one, <laughs> see what the interest is, maybe go from there. <laughs> Thank you, by the way, for people who gave us questions online um, to use to inspire this podcast and to help us answer some of the things that you're wondering about. It was so awesome. It was really cool being able to see all the different questions and really reinforce, like, man, there's so much to talk about with this subject. Yeah. Number one, we got a couple people just giving us the note of, um, hey, don't forget that there are lots of men with breasts as well. And... uh, don't forget to talk about trans inclusiveness in your podcast. And remember that it's not just cis women that have breasts. Um, and the breast health does not affect just cis women. Nope. So we will remember that. Yes. Keep that in mind as we move forward. Yes, for sure. For sure. And especially because I think there's a lot of like trans people who don't get the, uh, you know, support they need in that area mm-hmm. uh, and are more likely to have health issues around breasts and breast tissue Mm -hmm. if they're not getting the same sort of like regular care that a cis woman would get right yeah yeah so you want to get us cranking here loosh i do before before we start that though i do want to check in on our challenge from mr jacob Mm -hmm. um Jacob's challenge to both of us was the same thing. He asked us to look at every ingredient on the different foods and packaged foods that we had in our houses that we were eating throughout the week. And then on top of that, to be really aware of the different sugar levels and names of sugar in those products too. So Hannah, what did you what did you find? Well, so I pretty much only eat one food out of a package whoa dang (laughs) it's not because i'm special it's because i get all my meals pre-made and if i don't have my meals pre-made from the food company i get them from i have them uh, i have like my csa sure so it's not because i'm like a fancy person (laughs) but i eat oatmeal every day from a package Mm. usually that's where i get it so i do have like just a, a container of oats and the only ingredient is oats. Mm-hmm. But I don't like that as one, one as much because I literally have to measure it. And that's mm-hmm. the only difference. Mm-hmm. It's just like in the morning, that one extra step sometimes gets in my way. Mm-hmm. As, as like privileged American as that sounds, <laughs> that's the truth. So I opened up my um, oatmeal, which is protein 10 oatmeal. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a Quaker oat brand that includes proteins, like fortified oats. Um, so let me just pull up the package listing. I had it. 
Okay, so I opened up my my protein tin, and I usually have um, the kind that is either cranberry, or I have the kind that is like banana mm. nut. Yum. Um, so here are the ingredients that I found on the back of that one. The first ingredient is whole grain rolled oats. Second ingredient, can you guess? Um, sugar. Sugar. <laughs> Third ingredient, whey protein concentrate. Oh. Fourth ingredient, almonds, dried cranberries, whey protein isolate, salt, maltodextrin, natural flavor, rice flour, vegetable oils, soy lectin. So, of those ingredients, the other part of Jacob's challenge was to not only look at those, but also then visualize, like, okay, can I imagine the whole form of said ingredient? Yeah, no. I mean, (coughs) the ones I can imagine, I actually can see in the food. Like, they put in chunks of almond and dried cranberries, so I can actually, like, see that when I'm eating it. Yeah. I can taste that there is sugar in it. I knew that when I bought it. Mm -hmm. I know that there's whey in it because it is a protein-bumped up oatmeal. Right. Um, but I definitely don't know, I don't know where the rice flour would be, maybe just to keep it from sticking to itself in the package. Could be, or could be a thickener, a thickening agent once could it's be. cooked up. Seems weird. Oats are so good at thickening on their own. <laughs> um, and then I don't know where the vegetable oils would have come in. You, you never do. They're yeah. always in so many different products though. Yeah. And I don't know what maltodextrin or soy lectin look like as a thing. So maltodextrin is likely going to come from corn. Okay. Um, very, like, highly refined. And then soy lectin is a soy derivative. So if you want to think about the whole plant, then you're going right. to be thinking about edamame and an ear of corn. Okay. Well, yeah, I can't picture an ear <laughs> of corn in my food, in my oatmeal. <laughs> so then I did, I did look at my, like, plain oats package. Mm-hmm. And I do have plain oats, um, just instant plain oats from, uh, like, a... A natural company mm-hmm. and the the only ingredient is oats and then i have like just plain oats in package form from quaker oats and there are other ingredients interesting and they're the same preservative ingredients that i just listed really yeah so there is like i i don't know what it's for i really don't um, maybe just to keep it from like turning into a block of oats or i don't know to keep it fresh in the package mm-hmm. or are some of those options uh instant oats well, they're all instant oats. All of them. They're all like in the microwave oats. Even the the one ingredient one? Yeah. Okay. I looked up, so actually this was before Jacob's Challenge, but Jacob's Challenge was so perfectly timed because I've been sick, as maybe some of you can hear. <laughs> I've been sick for the last <laughs> week. And um, on Sunday, Sunday is my long day where I teach a lot of different classes pretty much back to back. And Sunday was the day that I was the sickest. So I took myself to a Walgreens and I was like, okay, let me get some stuff like a cough drop, something like that. Never, never think to buy cough drops, but went there, was getting some stuff. And I was like, maybe I could buy myself a can of tuna in case I get hungry between classes, because right now I don't want to eat anything, but you know, that could be like a nice backup. I was like, okay, Walgreens has tuna. Went to the tuna section It Walgreens had a lot of tuna, but that's weird. (laughs) <laughs> what which part <laughs> all <laughs> no i just can't imagine trying to buy tuna at walgreens for some reason so they had canned tuna okay well. but they had brands where i was like let me look at the ingredients and here were the ingredients 
white tuna, water, vegetable broth, soybeans, sodium acid uh, uh, pyrophosphate, and more salt, and more soy. Why? Why would you put soy in there? Every single option at that Walgreens. And I'm surprised there were so many options. It's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at a lot of cans right now. I gotta go. They don't just have like one tuna selection. Nope. They had quite a few and they all had vegetable broth and all that vegetable broth had soy in oh, it. Oh, okay. So it's the vegetable broth that they're putting in that has that? Yep. But huh. it was it was pretty remarkable to be like, man, you can't just get... I kind of think that the beauty <laughs> of canned tuna is that it can literally just be tuna or like tuna and water or tuna and like an oil. Yeah. Oh, man. So yeah. I went I went to an list to class and it was all good. But I was surprised by that. One of the brands also had a little bit of sugar in it. And I was like, peace out. I'm done. <laughs> goodbye. 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 So great challenge, Jacob. Oh, God. Thanks for making us sad. Yeah. But I mean, so informed. I mean, I do feel like I know I knew that there were some of those things in there. I'm not that surprised that there's like soy lectin because I feel like that's in a lot of things. Yep. Um, and it probably came in that whey protein, too, that they put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's frustrating, but it's also like, I'm not going to pretend like I thought that that was some sort of purified oatmeal. No. I bought the one that was cranberry almond flavored. Right. Like, I know what that comes with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. And that's, I think that's the point, too. Yeah. It's just like knowing what you're buying. And reminding yourself sometimes that you don't have to just because now that's your thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I could just make regular oatmeal and put it in my own dried cranberries and my own almonds. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's yeah, it's looking at, okay, what what is my priority right now? And I think for you, a priority is saving time. Yep. And uh, I do get ingredient lists on the foods and the pre-packaged meals that I get, but I, I haven't seen anything like that in there because they do, it, they just like cook for you. Yeah. And the meals go bad if you don't refrigerate them. Right. So they're not like... Um, they're not like shelf stable. Yeah, they're not meant to be preserved right. for a long time. They're not yeah. meant to be frozen and reheated. Which is a great option to have where it's yeah, essentially fresh food. Yeah, it's just like fresh, fresh food. food every week. And I feel very lucky that I can have that because like I get it for basically just for being a host for the fridge. I nice. Can, uh, that's definitely not always an affordable option for people. But if it is, like, it's a pretty great opportunity to get fresh cooked food and forced to have vegetables <laughs> like i just had bok choy for lunch and that <laughs> had was to. great but i i wouldn't i don't know that i would have gone home and made bok choy right but i ate it and it was delicious yeah no that's cool yep. it seems like it's a great resource to mm-hmm. be able to have show is <sighs> okay so should we talk about breast health let's talk about boobs yeah um i feel like there's so much to say there really is like let's just uh start like <laughs> You could, I mean, there's so many elements of breasts that people think about, like what what happens if you, I mean, breast cancer is a whole nother thing that mm-hmm. we're not going to touch that because necessarily, mm-hmm. um, just because that is a whole nother level of complication and we don't have the background on that portion of things. But there is like, you know, breasts during pregnancy, your breasts during uh, menopause, mm-hmm. breasts during puberty, mm-hmm. during um, just your cycle Mm -hmm. when you know breast during transition Mm -hmm. for there's so many things that we could talk about um but we're gonna try to focus (laughs) it on some of the i'm gonna i'm gonna be a myth buster yeah focusing on some of the myths about breast health and fitness and specifically like breasts the way that they look or feel yeah and how that relates to exercise and lucia (laughs) 
I can only imagine what you're going to focus on. <laughs> right? I'll go, I'll be diving into the breast a little bit, more the internal processes. Great. Um, Let's start there. <laughs> well, and with that too, it's like, I'm not even touching on breasts used like for breastfeeding on any of those functions. Yeah. I'm on such a different, man, it really is like, even as we're talking now, it's like, oh, that would be such good fodder for another episode. Yeah, I mean, breastfeeding could be a whole other podcast. Like, yeah. how do you manage when you're, when you are breastfeeding and you're exercising, how mm-hmm. do you... Uh, there's there's a lot of information about there out there about how to increase the amount of milk that you produce. Yep. About how to keep your breast milk healthy for your child and at the same time fulfill your needs and all you know. There's a lot of things around that. Oh, huh. I could take a nap right now. I know. I feel like we need a <laughs> breast milk expert to do a breast milk episode. We so do. You no know one. Yeah. Tweet us. Soul kind of podcast. Okay, um, I wanted to talk about a few different things. Again, just like surface level because I'm not an expert in this. I just know what I know from my research and interest in human health and nutrition. Um, So the first thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about estrogen dominance and the breast. Have you heard of that term before? Um, No. I feel like I'm estrogen dominant. (laughs) Why, why do you say that? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I feel like well, I just think I have more, maybe I have more estrogen than testosterone, but maybe mm-hmm. it's estrogen for versus progesterone that you're talking about. Yes. Good job. Ding, ding, ding. In that case, I guess I'm not <laughs> estrogen dominant, or I right. guess I wouldn't know. Yeah. So when people talk about estrogen dominance, um, again, for the main part, it is going to be for um, female identified people, but it can also apply to male identified as well um maybe people are not taking any sort of testosterone hormone right yep so the idea of estrogen dominance is that in our bodies um we have both levels we have there's there's testosterone testosterone too um, but for right now we're talking about specifically estrogen and progesterone two different sex hormones so the idea of estrogen dominance is that the estrogen levels are too high in comparison to the progesterone levels that can play out in a few different ways. So that could mean that we have progesterone levels that are appropriate for our bodies at whatever stage they're at, and that the estrogen is still too high above that, or could also mean that our progesterone is too low and that estrogen maybe is around an appropriate level, but it's still the ratio is off, or that estrogen is still too high even above that extra low progesterone level. So all of this, this could be its own subject for sure. We should probably do an E&E episode so I can actually talk more about estrogen dominance. But for the sake of today, for what we'll be talking about with estrogen dominance, for people who are experiencing this, and you can experience it for so many different reasons, one of the main markers of that is experiencing PMS, so premenstrual syndrome. Hannah, what are some of the symptoms of PMS? Um, well, it depends on the person, I guess, but yeah. cramping, mm-hmm. bloating, mood swings, um, fatigue, mm-hmm. disinterest. Yeah. Breast tenderness. Mm-hmm. Breast tenderness. Yeah. Yep. So estrogen dominance can come from a variety of reasons. Even stress can throw off our hormonal profile, and that will include the trickle-down effect to our sex hormones, um, getting a poor a diet that's not as rich in nutrients that'll help feed and foster, having a low-fat diet, all of that can affect 
um, that proper balance of hormones. But if you feel like you are experiencing some estrogen dominance, maybe let's say you really do have super sore breasts. I know that can be a really physically like painful experience for a lot of women that comes on monthly. It's they're like, oh my God, here comes, here comes the period. I feel it because my breasts get really tender. It's like, get, get away. I got to stay in my bubble. <laughs> Don't even get near me. Um, that can be a symptom of estrogen dominance. So what normally happens is throughout, again, and for right now, I am focused on um, people who are identifying as female, and we're looking at that um, female hormonal pattern throughout the month. So with that, what happens is that the week before someone's period, um, estrogen levels naturally rise, and that's that's what is typically happening. That's great. That's appropriate. The reason that that estrogen dominance can make that process so uncomfortable and lead to those symptoms of PMS is that one of the main reasons that we can have estrogen dominance is because our body is not able to effectively metabolize out excess estrogen hormone metabolites. So during that liver episode that we had about a month or two ago, in that I was talking about how there are water-soluble toxins, quote unquote, and then there are fat-soluble toxins. So a lot of those toxins can be coming from exterior sources like pollution, chemicals that we're encountering, inhaling, anything like that. But there also are some more internal toxins, things that our liver needs to process, like dead cells and like uh, hormone metabolites, used up old hormone metabolites that we don't need anymore. So ideally, our liver is able to process those hormone metabolites, which are fat soluble. And if you listen to that episode, if you haven't, <laughs> go listen to it go and back. then come we'll back. Wait. <laughs> we'll wait. Are you back now? They're fat soluble hormone metabolites. And when something is fat soluble, it needs to go through an extra step. It needs to become conjugated and become water soluble in order for our bodies to then excrete it through pee, through sweat, through anything like that. So oftentimes it's those fat soluble um, toxins that are more difficult to excrete because we need that many more cofactors in order to have that conjugation occur, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of people can become estrogen dominant because it's that much more work on their bodies to flip those into water soluble and move them through. I feel like I was experiencing that recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of excess estrogen in the old system. Yeah. You helped me with that, doing some supplemental stuff to support moving through some of those metabolites and I was feeling like extremely I felt like I was having PMS symptoms all the time for like four weeks specifically like um fatigue but also like nausea and dizziness yeah like really uncomfortable yeah and there was definitely lots of breast tenderness during that time yeah I that's why I literally thought I was pregnant because I was like oh my (laughs) god my body is acting so strange yeah and won't let up right it wasn't just like oh for a few days before the period started or what have you yeah because I wasn't even having my period it was just like three weeks of constant PMS so and that um that stuff that helped move the hormone metabolites out really helped I mean it really helped because now I don't have any of those symptoms right now. So that's, that's awesome. Good. That's huge. Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit about what that was. Um, so if you are, if you do feel like you are experiencing symptoms of estrogen dominance, one of the things you can do is do exactly what Hannah and I did in her case, work on supporting the liver, looking at food and nutrition, but also in this case, we did some key supplementation to help that body get what it needed to u- utilize and conjugate 
um, those fat-soluble hormone metabolites make them water-soluble so Hannah's body could flush them out. So what I had Hannah take was a supplement called calcium deglucurate, which is a form of um, glucuronic acid, which we'll talk about in a minute. But something else that can be really helpful that everyone can utilize and implement is including more cruciferous vegetables into your diet. like uh, kale? Kale. Broccoli? Broccoli. Cauliflower? Cauliflower. Romanesco? Romanesco, yeah. Brussels sprouts. All those are members of the crucifer vegetable family. And they're all great sources of this stuff that I'll be telling you about. So they're great. Um, all those cruciferous veggies produce sulfur-rich metabolites. Specifically, what we're interested in is indole-3-carbonyl, which is I3C for short, and diendole-methane, D-I-M. Sounds great. That was just like you were speaking a different language for a second. <laughs> Maybe I was. Maybe I was. <laughs> Diandal methadone. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I'll be calling it DIM from Great. here on out. So when you cut or chew a cruciferous vegetable, that vegetable actually releases an enzyme called uh, myrosinase. Something. Yep. <laughs> Which then comes in contact with its own sulfur-rich glucosinolate. <laughs> I feel like this is a vocabulary <laughs> test for you. It is. It is. And then that begins the process of forming that I3C and DIM. So the, the actual process of cutting the vegetables right. is creating a reaction, which is pretty darn amazing. So part of this also means that um, those, some of those compounds are water-soluble. So the way that you prepare those cruciferous vegetables will matter. Um, regardless of what you do, getting in those cruciferous is great, so don't stress yourself out too much. But if, if, this, if this is something you want to be looking into, what you can do is think about either eating these vegetables raw or lightly steaming them or just at the very least not boiling them. Because if you boil these vegetables and they're submerged in water, that water will leach out those water-soluble factors that we're aiming to keep in. Um, and they can leach out around like 40 to 50 percent. So mm. it's, it's actually like... But steaming is okay? Steaming is okay. okay. Yep, yep. It'll be less loss. Or, you know, if you want to make a beautiful like shaved Brussels sprout salad, massage kale salad, coleslaw. Even are all. some roasted Brussels sprouts? Some roasted, yeah, if you cook them up too. That's like everyone's favorite fall side dish, I think. It's so homey. Throw a little bacon on top yeah. and call it a day. Yeah, Drizzle some balsamic mm-hmm. Ooh. on there. Yeah, at the bal- end balsamic glaze mm-hmm. damn yeah <clears throat> now i'm hungry okay so all those crucifers even like three servings a week that's a really great amount of crucifer to be getting um raw carrot is also something that carrot fiber can help so again when we're thinking about cofactors for liver health and getting those fat soluble uh estrogen metabolites into water soluble yes they'll be excreted through um urine and through sweat but also your digestive tract is a big place where your body once it's done doing its thing in the liver will push those things into your poop you gotta poop it out so by increasing carrot fiber you gotta poop it out you gotta poop that out (laughs) increasing carrot fiber can be a really great way specifically aiming um to be making sure that you're getting out those hormone metabolites specifically by pooping by pooping yes let's just say what it is really you're saying eat carrots so you can poop out all that extra stuff yes because carrots also have a specific factor in them that will help bind to some of these estrogen metabolites okay all of this can directly influence estrogen metabolism 
which and this is i think it's a kind of a contentious subject which i think a lot of stuff around breast health is so much so you know much why because <laughs> because <laughs> society <laughs> yeah yeah yes because it because it, it's not like there's like just science that's based on science alone right there's also bullshit fake science yep that's based on desire for perfection yep <sighs> So I think with a lot of this, especially with estrogen dominance, you have to go off of symptoms and how you're feeling. So I tell people when I, because I do use that supplement, calcium deglucurate, I use DIM. You can buy that, that factor that's in the crucifer vegetables. You can buy that as a supplement that's been extracted um, and supplement with it. Specifically, I use these protocols with different people who are suffering from PMS that is overwhelming. It's affecting their day-to-day life, their monthly life. Um, but I tell them it is a bit of a slow roll. So it takes a while for this process to occur and for your body to be able to flush out and effectively move through those metabolites. And if you are experiencing PMS before your period, and that period is fairly regular, then yeah, you'll be noticing it'll take about a month every every month to be able to tell like, okay, what's the difference between these symptoms versus last, last right. month's cycle? Um, so it's a bit of a slow roll that way, but... I would say, yeah, definitely going off of symptoms. So being like, okay, what, you know, keeping a journal, tracking how you're feeling pre-cycle, during the first day of the cycle, second day, how long was the cycle, any of that. I know I'm getting away from breast health. I know, we're just running away from boobs. But (laughs) breast tenderness can be a huge symptom and a really painful one for a lot of people. That's true. So also tracking, okay, has this shifted? Um, There is some relation to again contentious subject but some relation between and i know people were asking about um soy and phytoestrogen xenoestrogens and the lumpiness of breast tissue so some of this can actually reflect reflect some of that lumpiness too um so any of the protocol that i was just talking about people can also use if they're worried about breast cancer because there is more research coming out about the relation between estrogen dominance and um, increased risk for breast cancer or for people who are uh, identify as male prostate health okay. so definitely they're hormone related cancers um, and everyone needs to do their own research again this is just my surface level understanding but it can have an impact what you eat and what you're supplementing with so let me just talk about two other things um, I mentioned the word xenoestrogen so all that is is a synthetic estrogen that can be found in chemicals and pesticides uh, different plastics soaps fuel Ooh, all the stuff that we're we are we do encounter right we fill up our cars with fuel we're washing our hands different soaps we're heating up food in plastic containers maybe they're bpa free uh maybe not maybe bpa yeah, isn't the only thing to be worried like about a big deal about uh babies mm-hmm. getting like estrogens in their bottles right right because uh you would heat up milk mm-hmm. or formula or what have you in a bottle in the microwave you don't want to burn your little kiddo Right? You want that milk to be a, just warm enough. Um, but if you're always exposing that milk to what's being heated up also in the plastic, there could be some leaching that occurs. Right. Um, then phytoestrogens are plant hormones that can either promote or inhibit estrogen, um, which is why some people use will actually use them therapeutically. So some people will actually prescribe, um, especially I believe some naturopathic doctors will prescribe, okay, are you having... Uh, hormonal issues. Um, let me prescribe some uh, soy isoflavonoids to see if we can modify it. Again, 
really contentious subject. I feel like I don't even want to touch soy with like a 10 foot pole. I will say that uh, soy is more easily digestible when it's fermented. And traditionally there are lots of different types of fermented soy, Uh, miso, tamari sauce, to name a few. So a lot of people do feel better when they opt either for less soy or just choosing those fermented varieties um, because it's essentially less of a burden on your digestion and you're still getting the good stuff from it. Um, Other sources of phytoestrogens are going to be things like, well, soy is a biggie. Chickpeas also have some phytoestrogen. Clover, lentils, beans. Um, These are, this this is a bad or a good thing? I feel like I got lost. That's the thing. It depends. I'm not, I'm not going to say one way or the other. I, I would say if we look at it from a nutritional standpoint, opt for foods that are easier in your digestion. But some people are looking for that phytoestrogen because it, it is having some sort of effect on the body. But in my opinion, there isn't enough research out to show if it really is positive I for see. all people, negative for okay. all people, so, or different. Yeah, I feel like people say that there is um, a link. Like, there's definitely some pop science. Yes. Like, today we're going to talk a lot about <laughs> pop science. Yeah. Uh, maybe one study came out um, just relating phytoestrogen and soy. Mm-hmm to some sort of hormonal change right and now that's sort of like leading down this winding path of people thinking that there's certifiable connection between eating soy and having hormonal changes that you don't necessarily want right like oh eat soy and then your uh, menopausal symptoms will be better or eat soy to reduce the risk of breast cancer or like eat soy. if you eat soy you may accidentally see effects you don't want like growing breasts right yeah. Okay. Because I feel like that I've heard that before. And yes. I, someone asked about that online too. Yes, like, is there actually a link between soy and I can't remember what else they said, but um, and actually like generating new breast tissue or like growing breasts um, because it increases estrogen in your system. Right. Right. I feel. Like, so you're saying there's not there's no link yet shown for that. You should just avoid it if you want to. I think, no, I think that there there is evidence showing that there is a link, but whether we can ascribe that to be positive, negative, or yeah, neutral. Or, will de- or even causal. Yeah, like we'll, it, right. It will depend on the person. Okay. So that's not something we can necessarily right. speak to here. Right. I wish we could, because I'd, right. like, I'd like to know that answer too. Sure. And um, also, like, if you think about even just BPA as, as, as in its own right, like, all of that... BPA controversy was also happening in a time where like milk contains a lot of growth hormones. Mm-hmm. So, or like other foods that w- that uh, people are taking in as they're breastfeeding might be containing estrogen or phytoestrogen or whatever. It might not be completely isolated to that one thing, but how else can people make decisions besides <laughs> make something black and white right. and sum it up and then require a change? Right. And know? then also, and I think a lot of that dialogue too, doesn't look at how is my body able to handle this? Like I was just talking about with all that liver detoxification, there's that to me, there's not much dialogue around that, especially in like greater mm-hmm. uh, medical health communities. If you have PMS, PMS is considered uh, normal. It's common, but is it technically normal? I don't. It, it, my opinion would be not so much. It's showing that there's maybe a deficiency or mm. something that could be supported, um, because ideally our bodies aren't going to be like, "Hey, <laughs> you're going to feel real crappy so every like five days. month yeah. for at least five days." Yeah, that's, that's not normal. Okay. Right? That's not okay. Right. 
Um, so last thing I want to say is that, and again, this is just A plus B does not equal C, but another food that's high in those phytoestrogens is hops. And hops are in a lot of beer. So um, there was an article that came out a year or two ago talking about how if people drink more beer or more craft beer, that they also might see an increase in that um, breast tissue size for anyone who's drinking more beer. So there was some contention around that. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm just going to say that might be because you gained weight, too. And I <laughs> would say that beer is very calorically dense. I, I feel like... <laughs> and and beer is difficult on the liver. Because yeah, now your you're liver, bloated. <laughs> your liver swollen. has to work really hard to process that beer. If your liver is overburdened with processing the alcohol, maybe it's not quite as able to process other hormone metabolites right. in your system. Uh, you know, I feel like the biggest thing that we are even noticing as we work through this episode that we both noticed um, when we were working on our own and that we're talking about now is that there is such a strong connection between pop science and women's health. Yeah. And not not even just women's, but like um, in any feature that's considered feminine, like breast tissue mm-hmm. or uterine health or um, vaginal health, it's all like wound up into societal expectation it's wound up into pop science wanting to turn those things into instant fixes for everything i mean you see that a lot in pop science like yeah. there's one article that's or there's one scientific study that's written that like you know a small group of people saw um like a one percent increase in whatever it was because mm-hmm. of something. And the mm-hmm. next thing you know, the, the New York Times has reposted this as an article that says, if you do this, you will get this. Right. Like there was an article that's like, if you drink coffee, you will live longer. <laughs> You're like, God. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, your that's role. not what the study said. And most scientific studies would never make a claim like that. Right. And if, if they're well-founded, well-researched, vetted scientific studies, they're not going to make claims like you must do this in order to do this right that's not how science works right i feel like everything i'm going to talk about breast related is pop science misinterpreted studies used to create like big causal connections that are meaningless and then put out in (laughs) major access points for people right like cosmopolitan magazine or literally anywhere on the internet and i want to say one more thing before we flip over to that okay. too i'll just i'll just fume over here for no, <laughs> well i'm gonna be fuming right with you okay uh and we're like five feet away from each other <laughs> uh so the other thing what you just said about like a study finding like a one percent blah 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 at this point even just citing a study doesn't mean much because right. like who's funding that study how like what are how rigorous was it what was the sample size was it just a meta-analysis was someone just citing like a literature review you really need to do your own research mm-hmm. or find someone that has the time and ability and knowledge to do the research on the research yeah or suggest a topic that you're interested <coughs> in we'll do the research for you yeah totally because it's it's just like anyone can find any study to support anything that they want yeah. And studies can get funded really easily to do that. So that's uh, me fuming in my corner. Your turn. Okay. I have a few things I want to fume about. The, the, <laughs> here's a couple of things we're going to touch on in terms of breasts and fitness. One is we're going to talk about soreness in the breasts when you work out. Um, two, we're going to talk about bras. And three, we're going to talk about breast aesthetic and whether or not you can really change your breast Ooh. aesthetic 
based on your exercise. Because if you read the internet, you will be easily convinced that there are 10 easy exercises you can do to perk up your boobs. Yeah, can't you just do a bunch of push-ups? Right. And that may not be where everyone's coming from. There's certainly, like, many people who have breasts that are not interested in making them look any different Mm -hmm. or feel any different. But there is an overwhelming sense that you have to have perfection in the breasts in order to be aesthetically pleasing or to fit some sort of category right like if it doesn't even matter what it is like you may want them to be smaller or larger you may want them to change shape by being perkier or droopier or pointier (laughs) or whatever yeah they they probably just need a change probably right something needs to be different if you have something you probably need to change (laughs) it right no the answer is no you don't (laughs) don't rest as they are are great and fine yeah and and your whole body yeah if you'd like them to be gone yeah there are options for that yeah um there are ways to do that um if you would like them to be reduced there are ways to do that if you'd like them to be physically enhanced there are ways to do that but Mm -hmm. exercise like is often linked to breast aesthetic in a way that i think is very misleading Mm. and very problematic because all people enter the gym and say like oh i want to look a certain way and they may not right away say what that way is but a lot of times it has to do with not just losing weight in the belly area but also like looking a little perkier Mm -hmm. and lifting everything up i've heard a lot of people say that to me when they come in for their first session is i just want everything to be a little bit higher Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i've got some things to say (laughs) do let's just start from the beginning let's start with the idea of breast tenderness and breast soreness yeah there was a study done and it was a basically what the study was was just a survey. It was a survey done of London marathoners. Specifically, they only asked um, women marathoners about whether or not they experienced breast pain, tenderness, or soreness after or during working out. Okay. When they're running, thirty-two percent of those women said yes. Hmm. That is the only conclusive thing about this study. I just <laughs> want to be clear about that. Yeah. This was a survey study. Yeah. They also found things like um, it didn't matter specifically the breast size, though more women with larger breasts in this study did complain of pain. Mm-hmm. 25% of the women who, I, who said that they had an A or AA cup size also complained of pain. Mm. So the only thing that came out of this study, this survey, was 32% of women who they surveyed who are marathon runners <laughs> experience soreness in their breasts. Right. And of that 32%, it spread over the size of breasts, Mm -hmm. but tended to be more prevalent, but just slightly more prevalent in women with larger breasts. Okay. So what does that tell us? Not a whole lot. It doesn't tell us much. It just says, exactly. (laughs) The the study really just says what kind of what anecdotally a lot of people have experienced. Mm -hmm. That if you exercise, you may get breast discomfort. There is no, there is no hypothesis included in that for why Mm -hmm. and there doesn't seem to be a very distinct correlation between size and level of tenderness um there's there's a small one but not clear enough from this study so uh, and the other thing is that this study connected to a diff is often been connected to a different study Mm. which talks about breast oscillation during movement so there was another study Mm. done um that basically looked at like slow motion movement of breasts if without any without a bra um and how what that looks like during exercise and what they found is that there's like a a range of oscillation but that 
that breasts can move move up to eight inches in oscillation as they, as you exercise. Hmm. Given like keep in mind that doesn't mean that your breast moves eight inches to the right and eight inches to the left. <laughs> it means that there's like an eight inch variance over the pattern that it makes as, right. as you move. Right. Again, that study just said this is what we found is that there is oscillation in the breast when when people move. They move when you move. Yes. So there's two things we know for sure based on scientific study. <laughs> and at least based on scientific study of these of these groups. Right. Breasts move when you move. They move independently of your body a lot of times because they are fat tissue that don't have muscle attached to them. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a lot of control over how they move. They move. Number two, some women, 32% of those studied, get pain involved with that. We have no idea how what men's uh, level of pain is, what mm-hmm. trans people experience, because the study was done once on one group. Yep. Even the people who did that study said, this is just an initial exploration. We were lucky we got to do this survey with this group, mm-hmm. and we don't know anything else from here. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's what all scientists <laughs> do, is they say, like, these are the things that are missing, and these are the areas of limitations of my study. Right. That's why science is so great. Now, if you look up that study online, you will easily find hundreds of articles that have been written as using that to then explain some pop science theory. They're extrapolating. Yes, and they're extrapolating in a way that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Extrapolation is an actual thing, but they're like taking things and inventing causal connections. What have they said? So I saw one article online that basically said, um, and this is this is great. I'm like only, I'm just so curious who sponsored this study. It, it said there were these two studies about breast oscillation and, and breast soreness, and it, that can only mean that you must find the right bra that has the right support in order to get rid of this problem. Hmm. But if you go back to the study of the women that were interviewed, 90% wear sports bras every time they work out and wear a bra additionally in every other part of their life. Mm-hmm. So you're, so do you understand where the problem <laughs> starts to come in? Yeah. You can't just conflate numbers to say, well, this must mean this. There was no information about what types of bra, if they had any sort of connection to wearing underwire versus um, a looser style of sports bra mm-hmm. and whether or not that had any change on their soreness. All we know is that they complained about soreness after running. Right. So to make a conclusion that you should then go invest in this certain type of bra based on that is false. Mm-hmm. That's a jump that is not actually okay to make. Right. And also implies that you can, can and should find a way to... Con- control and manage that problem Mm -hmm. but no one's saying it's necessarily a problem right it's just an outcome right uh a lot of places on my body are sore after i exercise (laughs) you know and breasts included yeah um they also didn't identify whether or not any of that soreness came from pec soreness Mm. came from soreness of your lats or Mm -hmm. any other muscles that are contributing to the chest area right so let's be clear about that this was just anecdotal evidence based on a survey. Right. Um, another study I saw, not a study, another article I saw said that um, if you are not careful to reduce that oscillation, you will stretch your breasts. Oh, geez. And cr- create sagging. No. Go I, home article, yes. you're drunk. I, you're drunk article. <laughs> That's not real. Yeah. That's on Cosmo. We already know Cosmos like 90% made up just nonsense. But 
this is something that people really believe that if you are exercising if you're bouncing up and down a Mm -hmm. lot if Mm -hmm. you're moving around a lot if you're causing oscillation in your breast that you're going to somehow cause the tissue to sag right but that's not really what's gonna happen don't move your body too much bad things will happen i mean doesn't that sound like another way of just controlling women the narrative about women yeah women's bodies yeah is don't move too much because then you won't be sexually appealing to me anymore. That would be the worst thing that yeah. could happen to I'm you. I'm like so on fire. I'm going to burn this house down. <laughs> and we're not even in the house. <laughs> the walls are concrete. I'm down my own business. <laughs> no. Um, but seriously, there's a lot of like anger about and me be, about that because I feel like it is literally if you Google breast health and exercise, you will find only exclusively articles saying, you know, here are the 10 exercises you can do to improve your breasts. Right. The reality is there is a lot of connections between all types of tissue improving based on exercise. We know that if you allow your body to move, if you allow lymph, lymphatic. I would love to jump in. Yeah, Yeah. jump in. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say, too, because this is one of the questions, too, that someone asked was just talking about. You know, if if you do wear a sports bra, should it be compression? What about like less supportive options? Just talking about that in general. And my first thought was, oh man, your lymph, your lymph nodes. So your lymph system, lymph, um, you have a lymphatic system in your body. We all do. Lymph is a clear fluid that travels through arteries into blood, uh, into body tissue, then drains away through the lymphatic system. Um, and our lymph nodes are filters along the way. So we have lymph nodes all across our body and quite a few, um, some like up in the armpits and some uh, right around the breast tissue. So the lymph nodes in particular, they work to filter out and get bacteria, viruses, um, other invaders that help to eliminate, and then they help to eliminate those from the body. So they're really important. Um, The thing about our lymphatic system that's different than our circulatory system is that our circulatory system has a pump ye old heart it's pumping all the time Mm -hmm. to move your blood through your body our lymph system doesn't have a pump so the only way it gets pumped is through our body moving in space in space through motion um which is there will be less movement if we are compressing or constricting against our body so at least from a lymphatic standpoint having more ability for that breast tissue to be moving will help with that lymphatic flow will help move if there is any bacteria or viruses where it have you in those lymph nodes it'll help clear them out move them up away from the breast tissue into our lymphatic ducts that then drain that um, lymph out of our system to help keep us healthy it's awesome yeah is that also part of the reason that people like like my doctor always suggests that I do like self massage mm-hmm. to just like increase blood flow in my breast tissue? Yep. Is that in is that related to that? Likely, yeah. Because um, another thing that you can do if you can go get a massage, massage therapists are trained in different techniques for lymphatic drainage, lymphatic massage. So there are definitely there are massage techniques. I'll link to one in our show notes. Um, that you can do around the breast tissue in particular. You could do lymphatic drainage for sinus, for your sinuses, for you know your feet, your legs, anywhere on your body. Um, but there are specific techniques that are a little bit different than just massage. Mm-hmm. There's more pumping um, movements versus like rubbing sure, movements. But sure. yeah, definitely, all of that's going to help contribute. Uh, looking at bras that don't have underwire, again, the underwire will constrict some um, movement. Yeah, and. The, like just keep in mind that the 
the bra industry was not created to help women feel more comfortable or people with breasts in general to feel more comfortable or supported. It was created for aesthetic pleasure. Right. Right. And so the sports bra industry is not that far away from that. Mm -mm. We haven't come that far in time to the point where sports bras are actually designed for you to increase blood flow, to feel more comfortable when you work out. Oh. They still have a highly aesthetic value contributed to them. Like you'll even see uh, like a Lulu bra, you might see like has like 40 straps on the back for mm-hmm. the look. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's fine. You should you should wear that if you want. Yeah. But don't I wouldn't concern yourself overly about whether or not your sports bra is specifically doing a job of making sure your breasts don't sag because that is not there is no scientific connection right now between you wearing a sports bra and having less sagging in your breasts. And I would say, too, that the number one well, maybe not number one, but maybe number one concern is just you and your comfort. Right. So what makes you feel good? Because if, if more compression does make you feel good for whatever reason, you know, like hats off to you. That That's awesome. But if you want to go braless, you are not hurting yourself. <laughs> no. Like maybe the discomfort of your breasts actually moving in space, mm-hmm. um, like whether or not you feel insecure about that mm-hmm. or if you just feel uncomfortable, like it, it is causing some feeling of like lo- lo- loss of control. Discomfort. Then you should- or, wear, wear a bra if you want, but right, you don't or, have to. Or chafing. I mean, yeah, right. there are other considerations, but... You certainly don't have to do it in order to um, make sure that you are preventing some sort of aesthetic outcome. Yeah. And here's here's why I say that. Because a lot of people in- think that if you... that They imagine like, oh, if, well, if you just bounce a bunch of tissue around, it's probably going to stretch out. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. But whether or not you're doing that in your exercise or you're just walking around being a person subjected to gravity, <laughs> they're not. that's not a very different type of situation. Right. You could lay on your back, I guess, your whole life. <laughs> oh. No. The other thing is Don't. Like your Cooper's ligaments, which are the things that actually live inside your breast. That's like a web through your breast mm. that actually make the shape and determine the shape. Mm-hmm. How those Cooper's ligaments stretch over time has almost nothing to do with... Y- elements from your lifestyle Mm. except for a couple of factors a lot of it is genetic whether or not your breasts will sag over time is genetic Mm -hmm. how your cooper's ligaments will hold up over time is genetic one main factor you can cut out if you want to make sure that your cooper's ligaments um, stay healthy and maybe stay more structured for longer is to quit smoking interesting smoking has a major contribution to uh, losing elasticity in your ligaments and skin and mm. tendons in general. Mm-hmm. So um, that's going to contribute to that. And also, uh, if you lose weight, you may be putting less pressure on those ligaments in the long run. Mm-hmm. But that may also not be the case. You might be very small and have large breasts. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that. Right. Uh, like most factors relating to your ability, like to whether or not you're going to sag, have, have saggy breasts, is a genetic relationship mm-hmm. sorry to say but baby you were born this way and also just the terminology saggy is, yeah. is so inherently negative WTF too. does that mean yeah. they look great you fine <laughs> they're a part of your body you're a human you're alive that is so damn cool yes. and our whole body is changing position over time mm-hmm. and also the other things that that are going to affect that uh, that are going to affect the shape of your breast the, the way the where they sit on your body the width or length or whatever 
is how many kids have you had? Have you breastfed those kids? Mm-hmm. Um, what type of change did your body go through during that pregnancy process? Like, did you go from a B to a G mm-hmm. and then back down? Mm-hmm. That's going to make a difference on how your breasts have adapted to that change. Sure. Um, whether if you've lost a dramatic amount of weight in a short period of time mm-hmm. or just at an older age you lost weight, that the elasticity of your skin, it's all going to factor into that look. Mm-hmm. But one thing that's really not going to factor in is how many push-ups you've done. Right. It's really not. <laughs> you can definitely work on your pectoral muscles. And if you think about like the look of your chest, you can, if you wanted to really focus on your pecs, you could add a little bit more rounded out shape to the top of your pecs. Like, like where you might see, like the top of your cleavage, I guess. Right. Um, could could feel a little firmer and stronger. Right. And certainly, you can gain a lot of pec strength to help you be better at things. Mm-hmm. But it's never going to change the fatty tissue that actually makes up your breast. Right. Nor will it change the way your Cooper's ligaments interact with that tissue. Right. Because I mean, yeah, we people need to remember too that we're we're thinking about breast breast tissue there are all these different layers of things going on so there's some muscles some places some of those ligaments there's actual fatty tissue there's skin there's a lot of stuff yeah and your pecs are just underlying muscles so if you are like if you are lacking any pectoral definition and you are flat chested in your pectoral muscle um you know growing that muscle it might contribute to how far out you can push push whatever's sitting on top uh-huh. but where your breast is sitting on top is has no relationship to the pec right so if your breast tends to sit at the bottom of your pec then expanding your pec muscle might not actually change where your breast sits mm-hmm. but it might like round out the top of the shape mm-hmm. or if your breasts are, are lower than your pec um and they're sitting just a little bit lower like down on, on their rib cage then Growing your pec muscle is, I mean, they're not going to bring them up. That's not a thing. And I will say too, um, so when I'm doing work one-on-one with clients, I do, I have a functional evaluation. So part of that is doing some palpations between um, ribs on the rib cage Mm -hmm. and everyone's rib cage is so different. Yeah. So different. Yes. So it's just like, man, we got to, I think society wants all of us to try to have the same goals, same aesthetic goals. But like, if you just look at the actual human body, we are all so very different. Yeah, and and the the tissue that is like making up your breast, um, it it like it's gonna look different for every single person. The mm-hmm. amount that you have is gonna be different for every single person. The only way that exercise really affects it is if you lose weight when you exercise you Mm -hmm. may lose weight in your breast tissue because that is also fatty tissue right so like if you're trying to use exercise to increase breast size the only way you can really do that is to get to gain weight Mm -hmm. right to gain some sort of fatty tissue right um and you may not gain that fatty (laughs) tissue in your breast you may gain it in your stomach or somewhere else or you know in your arms or your butt or your legs or wherever so just work out do some push-ups to feel like a badass yeah i mean if you're doing these things in order to change your breast size you you're doing it in vain mm. if you're doing it in order to feel badass and awesome and want to be super strong and that makes you feel better about your breasts mm-hmm. in some way that's great that's great yeah but don't believe anyone when they tell you that you can do five simple exercises <laughs> to increase bust size that's not real and, and was, if anything, you might decrease your bus size <laughs> because you're working out more. Right. I would say, too, um, for anyone, getting to know your breast and your chest by doing, like, a self-breast exam. That was a comment that someone else made. Just 
understanding what that exam looks like and I'll I'll post some resources too to learn if you haven't done a breast exam um, doing that or having your partner do that just to get to know what your actual breast tissue is like that's super beneficial mm-hmm. just getting to know yourself because again I think there can be a huge disconnect between what our bodies actually are like being present with our bodies versus being like oh my body is this image and this is what I want it to look like right and, yes and I just I hate the the thought that like there are peeps out there who um, feel like they're not living up to some standard in the gym in order to meet this aesthetic look. Right. Because there is not a, a very strong connection there. You can mm-hmm. be really, you can be ripped everywhere and your breasts can be lower than what you expect them to be because that is not always related. But you may also get totally ripped and lose a lot of your breast tissue because uh, you'll, I'm sorry, a lot of your fatty breast tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just depends on like pretty much what you were born with. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we're talking like up and down, but like side to side, mm-hmm. like with where they're placed yep. that way too. Like where, the, which way your nipples direct <laughs> yeah. or how far apart they are, the yeah. size that they are. Totally. I mean, so many different things. And this is why like, you know, breasts are so interesting as a, like a point of cultural reference because there are so many varieties in mm-hmm. the way that breasts look and function. Mm-hmm. And um, the way that people feel about them is uh, is so varied. And there's so many different societal expectations from like country to country and right. culture to culture. Right. Um, that like trying to summarize them into one style is like a very, that's a very devastating concept. Yeah. It, you know, they're just not going to look one certain way. And, um, you know, trying to elliptical and do push-ups in vain to get them to look a different way is just going to end up causing more grief than it's worth. So, with all of this dialogue... With all this dialogue, I feel like there's a couple takeaways. Yeah. Um, number one, there, there needs to be more investigation into women's sports bra design. Yeah. To hopefully work with women who experience this breast soreness, or women and men, trans I, people alike, who experience breast soreness, yep. because it can be a variety of people that do. Yep. I, like, I have heard from plenty of men who also say they experience tenderness in the actual tissue on their chest. Yeah, totally. There needs to be a better understanding of what that's from, mm-hmm. why that's happening to some people and not others, and if there's a way to come back to to manage it through sports bra or through some sort of supportive system. Right. Is it physical or and then kind of reflecting back earlier in the episode, are there different techniques, foods that you can be doing that are helping to support decrease breast tenderness because maybe some of that breast tenderness if it isn't induced by physically moving your body if it's more hormonal mm. what's going on with that and what is that what how, what is our body trying to tell us when it's when that breast tenderness has increased certainly if you've noticed something like that breast tenderness swelling increased size mm-hmm. i feel like those are all signs of something that you should look into um not necessarily be striving for <laughs> yeah and just again getting to know the rhythms of your body too because there are different monthly cycles for yep. some people mm-hmm. yep the last thing I will say, because you mentioned it before we started the podcast, is um, do people who have large breasts uh, have to be concerned about um, like when they're doing workouts, like if they can get in the way? Mm-hmm. And the, what I'll say about that is that your body has a really good way. Your body has a really good sense of proprioception and exterioception. Like where is your body in space and where is an object related to your body? Otherwise, you'd be walking around every time you swing your arms, you'd hit your own legs. Oh. Right? 
or every time you picked something up, you, you'd accidentally hurt yourself trying to use it. Mm-hmm. You pretty much know, your body knows where things are and uh, where your body is in space. Mm-hmm. Sometimes gaining weight or losing weight in a very in very quick fashion can make that transition kind of difficult. Like mm-hmm. if suddenly your breasts are enlarged, that may sudden, that may quickly cause you to feel like you don't know where you are in space. Right. And it's going to take a period of adjustment. Same with if you've gotten a breast reduction, like you've gotten a breast reduction or maybe you got top surgery and so you've removed all your breast tissue mm-hmm. um, or you've had a double mastectomy and you've removed breast tissue or you've removed your original breast tissue and added <laughs> enhanced uh, breasts. Yep. You may find that suddenly you're not quite sure where everything is. Right. But that's just going to be a period of adjustment. If you're consistently hitting your chest when you're doing something like a clean or a snatch or you're when you're moving, that is likely a technique issue. Okay. Versus or a lack of back strength mm. versus like a problematic breast size. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, do you need to worry about that? No, absolutely right. not. Same with like stomach size. If you're pulling in and you're continuing to hit your stomach, there's probably just a lack of like body awareness or um, might be back strength or technique problems. Or flexibility. Yeah, flexibility. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you for having excess um, like tissue on the front of your body mm-hmm. that if it feels like you're hitting it, you're not alone. People who don't have a lot of excess tissue do the same thing mm-hmm. when they first learn mm-hmm. to move. Um, so there's certainly no, like, you know, from my experience and just from, like, there's no, you know, research about it, but uh, from what I've noticed, it just takes practice to yeah. accommodate your body and uh, everyone can find a way to do that. So right. don't have to worry about it if you feel like you are have very large breasts and you're worried that you won't be able to do certain things. There's areas that you want to think about. Like you, you definitely want to work on your back strength because you are carrying more load in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be considerate of things like what we talked about with lumbar lordosis or kyphosis of the thoracic spine because mm-hmm. you have excess weight in the front. But um, it's not. it's not like your performance will inherently be affected by those things. Right. Totally. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, some people, you know, find that it in something like the bench press, it's beneficial to have a little less distance that you have to travel. Sure. If you've got larger breasts. So yeah. that could be great. <laughs> it could work out really well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll touch on is just like, if you are somebody who has experienced um, top surgery or has experienced um, some type of breast augmentation that is that so i mean some breast augmentation doesn't cut into pectoral muscle some right, does right some of it is just removing fatty tissue some of it is a little bit more invasive than that when you're coming back um just the main things to think about are to try to reduce the load that you're actually pulling mm. or pushing at first so you can give yourself time to adjust in the healing process and um like when you're in a pulling or pushing position to move just a little bit slower when you're coming back and reduce the number of reps that you're doing right away. Sure. So like if you were coming in, you were doing like 50 push-ups, no problem, 50 pull-ups, no problem, and then you got top surgery, you might um, consider when you come back just stepping it back a little bit, using a little more support on your pull-ups and push-ups, reducing the number, just until your body is adjusted and your pecs have completely recovered from that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would just be like another thing to think about if, if that's something that you are have experienced, are going to experience, and... If anyone has experienced that and wants to share some more tips of things that, that helps them get back into it, uh, back into working out, or or <laughs> if you noticed any, if you had a dramatic change in your breast size 
and you noticed any difference with the way you interacted with your workouts, we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. And you can tweet us <laughs> about it at Silicon Podcast. Please do. We would love to hear from you on that. Yeah. Big takeaways. Don't listen to the bullshit. Everyone's mm-hmm. a liar. <laughs> and everyone is different. Your body is your body. Yes. You get to do what you want with your body. Yes. And there's some things about uh, your breast that you will never be able to change unless you do so through surgical intervention. And if you choose to do surgical intervention, that's fine. And you should do that. Yeah. And do it for you. Yeah. And do it for you. Um, but don't just understand that like you may not be able to get the thing that you're looking for through another means that if someone's trying to sell you on that idea, they're trying to sell you on something that is not based in science. So Hannah, Hmm. do you have a challenge for the week? I feel like my challenge is, yes, here's a challenge for you. Mm -hmm. I'll give a challenge to the listener. Number one challenge to the listener is, uh, to spend some time and this was for everyone. Spend some time like looking at and like connecting with your chest, with your breasts, with your uh, breast tissue, whatever is there. Take notice of how much tissue is there, um, what it feels like when you move without any sort of bra or constraint on, um, what it feels like when you're in different positions, whether or not you feel like it's in your way if you're like bouncing around or moving. Um, and notice next time you work out where what parts of your body around your chest are actually feeling sore which what is feeling like you're using what muscle do you feel like you're using um and just like generally pay a little bit better attention to your breast tissue versus Mm. your pec tissue yeah that's great that and then your challenge is the same thing do a bunch of Uh push-ups and then tell me what's sore the next day (laughs) (laughs) i will (laughs) um my challenge is pretty similar. I want people, and again, for the listener, for you, for me too, I'll do this as well. Um, go ahead, look at the resource I have that I'll be posting, um, or just do if you already do it. Do a self breast exam. Get again, get comfortable with your know your breasts. Yeah, know your breasts, know your chest, know your body. Mm-hmm. Do that, and then think about doing it on the regular, whether that's once a week in the shower, whether that's like. Uh, something you decide with your partner whether that's once a month maybe doing at different times of the month and noticing if there is a change in breast tissue if Mm -hmm. hormones are going to be affecting that and that goes for everyone too like i mean uh definitely it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman oh i was have fatty tissue on your body i was including men in that yeah all you male listeners exactly do your exam and even if you've had like the majority of your breast tissue removed, you still have fatty tissue that lives on top of your pec muscles. And it's good to be aware of that tissue, just yep. like you will be of anything else. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> what a subject. I know. Well, you know, I think if, if, if we're going to talk about something that has a certain um, level of like sexual desire yep. uh, attached to it, we're going to end up finding a lot of lies, a lot of manipulations, a lot of cultural taboos and, um, you know, misunderstandings. Yeah. And I think that's what we found today. There are a lot of messages for mm-hmm. sure. I would like to recommend, um, if you like, if you want to hear more about specifically about sagginess, about, um, breast, uh, expectations, there is a great podcast called stuff, uh, your mom never told you. And it's one of those, it's one of the how stuff works podcasts. And I really like those, the women that run that podcast. They're super awesome. And um, they did a, um, a episode called Saggy Boob Science. 
and I listened to it probably like five or six months ago and when I knew we were going to talk about this I went back and listened to it again and it really is a very detailed history on why people are concerned about sagginess in their mm. breasts how different countries view nipple size and nipple placement nice yeah and, uh like how the measurement, the quote unquote measurement of sagginess yeah. is done. Yeah. And uh, I just think it's a really interesting podcast. So go ahead and take a listen to that and you might find that you learn even more. Yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you all so much for joining us. This has been a real heated topic. It has. And I'm sure you'll all have some more to say to us and we'd love to hear it from you. So please tweet at us, um, send us some love and some notes and we'll we'll use that for fodder for our the beginning of our next episode we will tune in next time my friends and Before as we, always oh yeah go ahead you, it's your turn this week oh oh <laughs> <laughs> uh as always we'd like to thank the wonderful taj um she's great hannah has things she says about her every week and i agree with the sentiment uh not that improviser is not <laughs> in my blood but um taj is like a a a beautiful um fruit basket yes. no <laughs> that, yes yes it's tropical fruit too. tropical yes awesome <laughs> all right that was good i'll never make you do it again <laughs> thank, God. Uh, thank you taj and thanks everyone for listening subscribe to us on itunes and we'll see you next week bye 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 sulcana cast is produced by taj ruler subscribe on itunes or visit sulcanacast.libsyn.com that's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com for full episode information. You can also visit our website at sulcanafitness.com to stay up to date on everything health and fitness. Join in on the conversation over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sulcana CrossFit. See you there.